It's always a high privilege and an honor to preach here at the Moody Church, but today that honor is enhanced because we are joined by over 845 other churches in the city of Chicago that are participating in this Explore God series. We're undertaking to not only address, but also answer seven of the most important and fundamental questions about God, about faith, and about purpose. Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible re reliable? And can I know God personally? These are the seven questions that we are going to address along with these other churches. And today, we will provide an answer to the question, does life have a purpose? And what a relevant question. You and I live in a time and in a place and in a culture that is arguably the most advanced, the most affluent, the most abundant, and the most comfortable of any culture that has ever existed in human history. Yet, we're also the most depressed, medicated, and directionless culture in history. Does life have a purpose? What a question. Universal in its query and applicability. Anyone can ask this question and it's relevant. Any age, any gender, any nationality, it applies to every strata of society, no matter your education, your training, your experience, your socioeconomic status, your political affiliation, it applies to us all. So, where would we turn to find an answer to such an important question? Here at Moody, we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and that it's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So the question becomes, does the Bible itself answer the question of the day, does life have a purpose. I want to invite you, if you would, please, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. We're going to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the books of wisdom. Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's page 553 in the Bible in the seat back in front of you. It's in the Old Testament, and it's called one of the books of wisdom. In the passage we have the privilege of perusing today, we're told of a king that asks the very question that we're exploring today. Does life have purpose? Does life have meaning? In fact, he went on a quest to answer the question of the meaning of life and the purpose of life. We find there in Ecclesiastes that he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. Now, the interesting thing, beloved, is that this king is real. His claims are well documented by historians, and for our purposes today, we are going to call him Solomon. 
Now, when I tell you that the king was like no other, this guy was wealthy. Not just wealthy, he's the wealthiest man who literally ever lived. Not rich, wealthy. The difference between rich and wealthy, let's see if I can explain it to you this way. A professional athlete is rich. The guy who writes his check is wealthy. All the gold is his. All the silver is his. He had an irrigation system to water his own personal forest. You get that? The guy had his own personal forest. Vineyards, cattle, chariots. He didn't have a beach house. He owned the beach. Private plane, he owned the airport. And he had 700 wives. Now. Anyone who's married would have probably told him and said, King, I, I, that is, mm, mm, mm. 700 wives, I'm king, king, king. I don't think so, king. That's 700 anniversaries. That's 700 birthdays. That's 700 sets of in-laws. King, king, I don't know. It tells us that he was wealthy. I mean, you have to have a lot to keep up with 700 wives. We also know later in his life that these 700 wives caused him to be corrupted by compromise, by the treaties, the alliances, the beliefs of so many diverse wives. But you can only imagine the tremendous wealth that you would have to have in order to have 700 wives 700 plus servants to attend to those wives. Solomon says, I will experience everything under the sun and I will deny myself nothing. The senses of sight, scent, touch, taste, hearing, if it's under the sun, I'm going to experience it. Now that expression, under the sun, is repeated over 39 times in Ecclesiastes. And what Solomon is saying, between the time that I am born and the time that I die, that space in between those two events is what he is calling under the sun. Those things that are on earth. I will deny myself nothing. I want you to look at the text. Look at Ecclesiastes 1. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they'll flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. 
The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. Hmm. All is vanity. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. And I perceived that this also was but a striving after the wind. What does he conclude? It's all meaningless. That's what that word vanity means. It's empty, not permanent, frustrating, unsatisfying. He planted vineyards to make a difference in his culture and his society, and he says, meaningless. He said, I'll deny myself nothing. This was a party animal. Pleasure was pursued, meaningless. Money, education. What Solomon found out and what we will explore in the little time that we have is simply this, beloved, without God, Life is meaningless. I'm remembering a time when we got a display shelf, and it was from one of these places that's very popular, supposed to help organize your life. And I took it home, and I followed the cartoon instructions, and I was left with many leftover parts, including two metal rods. Now, nowhere in the instructions did it even reference that I was supposed to have these parts, but there they are. So I, you call the cashier, and the cashier doesn't know what I'm talking about. She puts me on hold to the section leader. The section leader says, no, you don't need those rods. Did you assemble the, yeah, it's assembled. Is it fun? Yeah, you don't need them. You can throw them away. Talk to the district manager, and he says, well, this is the first we've heard of that. Let me get back to you. It isn't until he locates somebody in Finland that actually designed this thing and created it, and he said, well, you know, it was really designed to hold lightweight things, but in the event that someone wanted to put something heavy on it, that they want to put something of substance on it, I designed it so that you could put those rods through the shelf, and instead of those brass knobs that you put in there, you could actually use it to support something of substance. The only way anybody would know what the purpose of those things was was to go to the Creator. And beloved, if we want to know our answer to the question of whether or not life has purpose, may I suggest to you that we go to the Creator of all things.
The Bible says that Jesus is that creator. In Colossians 1.16, by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. God created each one of us. The Bible tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let us make man in our image. God created man, and I might as well take my foot off the gas for a minute and clear this up. God didn't create man to satisfy any need on his part. God didn't create man because he was in want or deficient. No, beloved, the God that we're talking about needs nothing. The God that we're talking about no, you don't hear me. He lacks nothing. The God that we're talking about is not deficient. He didn't create man because he was lonely. Lonely. He exists in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The host of heaven that he created, the cherubim and the seraphim and the archangels all proclaim his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He wasn't lonely when he created us and there was no need to be fulfilled. He created us out of his great love. Jesus said, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus continued to share this message in his earthly ministry. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he concluded his earthly ministry by saying this, and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Beloved, the path to purpose starts with repentance. You say, repentance from what, Pastor? Repentance from sin. Now that's a word that we don't hear a lot of. We don't use it much today. In fact, instead of calling sin what it is, you'll hear us call it entertainment, hyperbole, rights. Sin, my friend, separates us from God. It dissipates and destroys, and it steals our joy. Repent is not a word that we hear in the American lexicon either. I challenge you, last year, 2018, how many times did you use the word repent? When you went to a restaurant and you didn't get the service that you wanted and you demanded, excuse me, can I see the uh, manager? You guys need to repent from serving this kind of food. 
I don't think so. Now, we hear a lot about rights in our culture, but very little regarding repentance. So it might be worthwhile if we suggest that this is the path to purpose, then what exactly is repentance? What is this that Jesus is talking about? And that's a good question. And I guess before I delve into what it is, maybe I want to tell you what it isn't. Repentance is not remorse. Being sorry or sorrowful is not repentance. That's not what we're talking about here. Regret is not repentance. If we went to the jail right now and talked to the recidivists who are there, the habitual offenders, they might have regret that they've been caught, but upon release, they're committed to a life of crime. Repentance is not resolve. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? How many of you have kept them? Repentance is not reform. It is by sheer will alone, I will turn a new leaf. This is not what we're talking about here. In fact, the Greek word that is used here means to change one's mind. Hmm. If we're looking for purpose, then we start with some really basic precepts, beloved, that God is real. And Jesus is real. And yes, God is just, and he's merciful, and he's kind, but he's also holy that we sang about. And on our best days, neither you nor I are ever going to be holy enough. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be without sin in order to have a relationship with him outside of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And like Solomon, we come to realize, that is, that there is nothing beyond these 70, 80, 90 years. If we say that, that there's simply nothing that occurs beyond this life under the sun, then all of that stuff is in fact meaningless. We're not designed to exist apart from our creator. We accept the truth of the gospel that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and we are then brought into fellowship with God. We are transformed. When we repent and confess our sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, we now have purpose. And what happens miraculously is that God transforms us, transforms our heart. We see a transformation in our attitude. That first part of the transformation is just the acknowledgement that there is God and that we need a savior. I can't save myself. We no longer see God as a killjoy. You're somebody who's trying to deprive you of your fun. No, beloved, with a transformed attitude, we now see him as what he is, a loving and caring and compassionate God. So even when you read a commandment like, thou shalt not steal, you don't see that as a threat of punishment, but you see it as a promise. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because my God will provide all my needs. I don't need to steal. My God will provide for my needs. And my God will give me an attitude now that takes away covetousness and gives me contentment. We get a new attitude. My joy is not dependent upon things. 
Service for God is looked upon as a sacred privilege, not a chore. And we recognize that all that we have comes from God's grace. I thank God for our fellowship fund and for the committee. I thank God for Chairman Leo Miller and for the faithful members of the committee. They show the compassion of Christ in helping people, but you know they're ever mindful of one simple truth. But for the grace of God, there go I. We have what we have only through God's grace. A life that is now yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a transformed attitude. There is a transformed heart. You see a change in our affections. Years ago, before I got married and had recommitted my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I decided to go back to a bar that I used to go to, that I used to frequent, and I walked in there and I thought, I don't remember it being this loud in here. Why is it so dark in here? And why are these drinks so expensive? I don't. <laughs> and after a few minutes, it just occurred to me that I was no longer home there. I felt out of place. It wasn't for me. The Lord had given me a new appetite, new affections. The Bible tells us that behold, the new has come. We are in fact new creations with new desires and with the changed attitude, with the changed affection, also comes changed and transformed volition, a change in our actions. No longer motivated by what exactly is in this for me? How is this going to benefit me? When we stop and we think about what Jesus did and what God did on our best day, we could never be reconciled to God on our own. And so God and his sovereignty before the world was even cast came up with a plan to redeem all of humanity. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came to earth to pay the penalty for our sins. 33 years, beloved, never committed a sin. 33 years as a young boy, as an adolescent, as a teenager, never told a lie, never took anything that didn't belong to him, never slept with anybody. 33 years, sinless life. When Jesus went to Calvary and was nailed on that cross, God measured out the full measure of his wrath on him. God looked at Jesus as though he had lived my life. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, he looks at those who believe in Jesus now as though we had lived Jesus' life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. What an awesome God we have. What a good God we have. In fact, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. 
God has come so that we could have fellowship with him. God has sacrificed so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Not that we would just exist, but that we would live in fellowship with God to enjoy his love, unfiltered, unobstructed, unhindered. Hmm. Without God, life is meaningless. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. We could ask Solomon. In the 12 chapters that are written here, he details in excruciating detail everything that he pursued, everything that he sought, every pleasure that he sought, and he comes away saying, meaningless. But you know the truth. You don't have to refer to Solomon. Is there any meaning in your life that the inevitability of death does not ultimately destroy? Is there any meaning in your life that the inevitability of death does not ultimately destroy? People pour themselves in their work, in their employment, only to be denied promotion. They work so hard and they don't get that raise. You've seen others take credit for your work and your ideas. Your benefits are edited or modified or dissolved and the company announces that they simply just don't need you anymore. Can't be in jobs. It can't be in things, in computers, in cars, in clothes. The truth, my friend, is that there isn't anything that we own that isn't one day going to end up in somebody's trash heap. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. Money? No amount of money is going to buy you into a relationship with God. Money can buy the finest food, but it can't buy an appetite. Money can buy the most expensive bed on the planet, but it won't give you peace of mind and rest. Money can buy medicine, but it won't prolong your days beyond that appointed time. The cemetery is full of rich people who would have gladly traded all that they owned for one additional hour of life. Money would not do it, and it can't do it. People look for meaning in everything, in relationships, in drugs, in money, in fame. You've tried everything. I'm here this morning, beloved, to invite you, try Jesus. Does, does anybody need any help this morning? You can't save yourself. You need a savior. And whatever it is that you need, beloved, God has a supply. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. God looks beyond the few years that we have here on earth and he reveals our true identity, that we are to have fellowship with him, that we are to experience his love. And in that, there is our purpose in life. Absent God in your life, we have to conclude as Solomon did. It's meaningless. It's empty. 
It's frustrating. And isn't that how it feels sometimes in our culture and in our society, that we're just on a treadmill? You get up, you get dressed, you go to work, you take the same route, you come home, you take the same route, you have dinner, you go to bed, you get up, you have breakfast, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed, you get up, you have to, isn't it like being on a treadmill? There is more to life than our jobs. There is more to life than the things that we acquire, and beloved, our lives are not measured by the things that we have lost. Oftentimes, people are dejected and sad because they say, I don't have. I wish I had. If only I hadn't made that decision, your life is not measured by the things that you have or don't have. Our culture would invite you to live between if and when. If this happens, I'll be happy. If I get that raise, I'll be happy. If I get a new car, I'll be happy. If, if only they would acknowledge me at work, boy, things would be different. Or when I get enough money, when I get thousands and thousands and thousands in the bank, that's a grand deception, living between if and when. The truth, beloved, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? There is something in you now that is telling you that there is more to life than that that is under the sun. There is more to your existence than those things that fall between when we are born and when we die. That is what is under the sun, but there is an eternity, beloved. And when we pass from this earth, we're either going to spend that eternity with God or an eternity separated from him. Now, this is the truth. There's really no way to avoid it. We are only left with two choices here. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, his burial, and praise God, his resurrection from the tomb, this is either the greatest hoax that has ever been perpetrated on mankind or it's absolutely true. It's either a lie or it's absolutely true. See, I don't think it's a lie in large measure because there were too many people that were willing to die. All they had to say was, you're right, we made it up. We never saw him. He wasn't alive, but they wouldn't. They couldn't because they did see him, because he did come out of that grave. Jesus is alive, beloved. I talked to him this morning. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive, and Jesus saves. He saves us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin in our lives, and one day, praise God, he'll save us from the very presence of sin. The question is not whether or not life has purpose without him, but are you going to continue to live without him? That is the question. Are you going to continue to ignore the call on your heart, the tug on your heart? 
The things that we do have all been designed to fill this God-sized hole in our heart, and they come up short. The more drugs you use, the more drugs you have to use with less and less results. Relationships won't do it. Money and fame won't do it. There is something within you that is telling and confirming for you that God exists. What are you going to do about it? We come to a point where you have to make a decision. Now this is the good news. This is the hallelujah part for me because God loves you. He sacrificed his son for you. And he has an abundance of mercy and grace and wisdom and power and comfort for you. All you need do is believe. This is a free gift. It doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about your training. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you have parked in your driveway or what you're wearing on your wrist. The sacrifice that God wants is a broken spirit and a contrite heart and the acknowledgement that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Christ, God incarnate, and the Savior of the world. What are you going to do about it? This is your time, beloved. We have gathered here to ask the question, and I give you the answer. Plain and simple, without Jesus, life is in fact meaningless. You're on a treadmill to nowhere. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life with God, and there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that could ever separate you from his love. This is God's promise. What are you going to do about it? The word of God will comfort the afflicted and it will afflict the comfortable. If you're sitting there squirming and saying, I didn't come in here to make any decisions today, too bad. <laughs> because that's why we're here. To proclaim the truth. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to sign up for any memberships. What I'm asking you is to confirm in your heart that you're tired of living the way you've been living, that you're tired of chasing fame and fortune, that your soul itself is wearied out on the emptiness that this life tends to offer, and you are ready to simply say this simple prayer, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. That's all you need to say. I believe. I'm not even sure how it is. I know that I believe, but I believe what I've heard. I believe the truth. This is resonating with my heart, and I'm crying out to you now, Lord. Forgive me. Save me. Help me. That's the decision and that's the question. Are you prepared to repent? Repent from an attitude that says that there is no God. Repent from an attitude that says I have to acquire things. Repent from sin. 
Are you willing to say the same thing about it that God says, that it's wrong? That there is a standard and he's given it to us. Are you willing to repent? Does life have meaning? Does life have purpose? Let me ask you, do you want to have a life that has meaning? Do you want to have a life that has purpose? Do you want to live in fellowship with the true and holy and living God? There's only one way. He that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And it is through that relationship with Jesus that we have purpose, we have meaning, we have fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation. And we thank you that we are not just reeds in the wind that are tossed and turned and have no purpose, but before we were even born, Father, you knew and you predestined and you are even now calling. Would you provide the courage, Father, for those who are sitting here to simply acknowledge you now as Savior and Lord. For those who are tired and wearied out on the tedious treadmill of life, you say, enough. I want to be reconciled to God. I want to be made whole with God. I want to repent from my sins. I want to confess that I have sinned, and I'm asking you, Lord, now to save me. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, every head's bowed, every eye is closed, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up where you are. I want to pray with you. And if you're asking Jesus to come into your life now, to transform your attitude, your affections, your volition, to change you, then I invite you to pray with me now. Father, I've said what you would have me to say. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for the instruction that Solomon has provided regarding the meaningless of chasing the things of this world. We thank you for the truth. And we thank you, Lord, for salvation. And for those who have called upon your name now for salvation, would you confirm that in their hearts right now? Would you unshackle them from sin? and use them even now mightily for your kingdom. May we always be quick now to give you the honor, to give you the credit, to give you the praise, to give you the glory. Now we pray in the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior and our King, and amen.